Folks, what is going on? It is 47 foot quarantine once again. Now I am back in New York. We have relocated away from the Midwest just for a little while, but I got my buddy Ryan Thomas. I was here with him about a week and a half ago. Uh, you know, we talked about some previews on the UFC 249 card. Would it even still happen? Obviously, neither of us knew that there was going to be some actual coronavirus involved, um, but it worked out. We got the fights. Uh, we got the main card that we all wanted. So before we really jump into any of it, Ryan, thanks for joining me, man. It's always a blast. Yeah, always a pleasure, Kyle. This will be fun. I'm, I'm uh, really excited to dive into the fights. <clears throat> yeah, we and like I said, we had a we had a good card. Whether you're going even just the you know maybe the less interesting, the less exciting, I should say, like Hardy and uh, De Castro, or obviously your uh, you know your ten out of ten main card between Gaethje and Ferguson. So um, right, we definitely we definitely had a good fight. So I mean, we'll. Let's go bottom to top. Obviously, you know, I want to save kind of the best for last. We'll, we'll end up on our, on our finale main card. Um, Hardy and DeCastro, your, yep. your initial takeaway. I know we obviously had a discussion about Hardy on the, la- you know, the last time we got together. Um, did the fight change anything for you in your eyes, whether maybe not personally, but his fighting? Um, what was your takeaway on it? Well, it's really tough because as we talked about it before, you know, with, with uh, Greg Hardy, it's really tough to really be sold on Greg Hardy being in the UFC. And for me, I think, you know, competitively is what really has been a tough sell for me as far as his ability to compete with the best of the best heavyweights. The, the majority of the heavyweights that they have put him up against um, I would say have not been the best, you know, in the division. He's not going up against anybody in the top five. I don't like how the UFC has basically built Greg Hardy. They've tried to pad his record, putting him up against uh, weak competition. And, you know, DeCastro, I thought, you know, early on they're, they're trading, they're firing punches back and forth. Uh, he did look like he had a little bit of a, a foot injury or something along those lines as the fight kind of wore on. And DeCastro was very uh, timid, did not want to throw punches, didn't want to throw much of anything. And it was a solid six minutes out of that fight where DeCastro just wouldn't throw any punches or kicks. So for Greg Hardy, it was, it was pretty easy. It was pretty smooth sailing for him to, to get the win off of that fight. Really, I, I just feel like now that Greg Hardy has had some wins inside the UFC heavyweight division, albeit against some weak competition, I want to see him fight somebody that actually has a chance of beating him. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, I'm just obviously kind of getting my own little recaps here, my what I can get from what I remember. Um, you know, the scores for Hardy were pretty much 30-27 across the board, so it was just, you know, a, a unanimous Hardy win, which from what we saw, it makes sense. And, yeah, obviously he's got a 6-2 and two record now, putting him up against some weak competition. And you're, if you're going to try and build him up as this – name people know when you're going to start trying to get him into some bigger fights I think now is your time I don't I don't know how many other names you could put him up against where now it just starts looking silly and you're kind of just throwing him whatever you can get um I think realistically you need to start now pairing him up with maybe someone that's on the top of the or not the top of the leaderboard but the people that you know have their rankings on the leaderboard some someone within a top 10 heavyweight fighter at least get him a notable fight. Um, right. I obviously don't like Hardy as a person. We talked about that. I'm still not even really sold on him as a fighter yet. I, I don't know if he's got what it takes. 
Right. And how can, how can you be when, when he hasn't fought, you know, a top guy and he did fight Alexander Volkov on short notice and he held his own in that fight. So holding his own in that fight against Volkov, I thought that he would then fight, you know, a name heavyweight. Right. Uh, and, he, and he hasn't. So now it's time. If, if they really want to continue this whole Greg Hardy experiment, that's, that's their choice. They're fully invested in that. I get it. But let's see him against a heavyweight that has a shot at, at putting his lights out or, 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 or a shot at, you know, beating him down for 15 minutes or submitting him. You know, he, he's in the UFC. This is the best of the best. I mean, let's be honest. For what it's worth, I thought DeCastro could have won and should have won. But like you said, he stopped throwing anything, not even just punches, kicks. He wasn't throwing anything. And if you look, right. back, if you look back at the replay, it's, it's pretty apparent he broke a toe or two um, on one of his kicks. Yeah. On one of his kicks to Hardy's legs, he even looked back at his leg and kind of hobbled. So I don't know if he couldn't put weight on it. I don't know if he didn't trust it. Whatever the case was, he just – he essentially threw in the towel but let the fight keep going. Right. And he was – he was uh, I think he was thinking about that injury from that moment on in the fight. Yeah. And it was like, okay, well, now we know what's going to happen. He's just going to sit and, and hope that maybe Greg Hardy – overcommits on a punch that he could catch him or I don't really know what his strategy was from that point on it was really frustrating to be honest watching that fight knowing that hey this guy has a lot of power that DeCastro you know all these heavyweights with those four ounce gloves on but especially uh DeCastro and Hardy that's what made the matchup so intriguing um you know in just the the skill sets of both of these guys they both can fire punches but DeCastro just looked lost after that injury and he just looked like he didn't want to fight after that yeah, I mean, it, it kind of looked like he, whether he was thinking about the injury or, you, you, like you just said, even if Hardy threw something, I don't know if we were just waiting for him to counter back or if he was just waiting to counter back. Like, he didn't right. even do that. He was checking punches, he was checking kicks, but he was never countering. And all these fights with Hardy that, you know, within the last, outside of the Volkov fight, they've all gone the same, virtually the same way. Each one of his opponents is a big powerful heavyweight that likes to throw hands and I'm kind of over that I want to see Greg Hardy put push to the limit uh put in an uncomfortable situation whether it's wrestling or uh Brazilian jiu-jitsu transitions Muay Thai you know I want to see Greg Hardy if if we're going to be forced to watch Greg Hardy in the UFC let's actually watch him fight a mixed martial artist not a brawler and it kind of looks like and it looks like that's what we're going to get. Is it looks like as long as Greg Hardy doesn't get his ass kicked, it looks like we're going to be subject to watching Hardy fight in the UFC. They're just going to keep padding his record and 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 that's the biggest point of contention that I have. It's it's bad enough that this guy is in the UFC. Let's actually put him against some real competition. Let's see if he can really fight. Yeah, and eventually you get him like we've said, you put him up against people in the top 10 of the heavyweight class and if he gets his ass kicked, which I think the UFC is afraid of, I think they know that he's not at that level of a fighter yet. So I think they're doing right. – and these are these are his training fights, essentially. Um, right. So, I mean, I, I guess it is what it is. But, um, it, you know, it happened. Hardy won. Like I said, I'm okay with it as long as they start using him to, you know, get an actual resume and actually put him in the heavyweight class. Um, I'd be okay with it. So – Next fight, moving on, we got Cater Stevens. 
Cater knocked out my boy Stevens. My boy, my boy Stevens. I don't even know who I picked. I think I picked. Right. Stevens I think I picked Stevens in that fight. Um, round two. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure you did. I. What was that? I just said round two KO, and yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I was leaning with Stevens on that one. So I was a little, I was a little bummed. Yeah, I was too, and I'm a, I'm a big Jeremy Stevens fan, but I have to say, you know, Calvin Cater, he showed up. Uh, that was an extremely impressive performance for him to take out a staple, one of the staples within the UFC roster as far as the 155-pound weight class, 145-pound weight class. Jeremy Stevens has been around a long time, and for Calvin Cater to fight him the way he did and to finish him the way he did with that elbow, which was just beautifully timed right down the pipe, um, Jeremy Stevens just collided with it. And the fight was over. I mean, there was there was no follow-up strikes needed, but the ref was not there to stop it in time. So some follow-up strikes by Cater were landed on Stevens. Um, and, and that's Cater's job is to finish the fight. I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, oh, what were those follow-up strikes? <clears throat> were those follow-up strikes needed? They were because the ref wasn't there. You know, right. the, the ref's job is to step in when the fighter is is out. Stevens was out cold. I actually think that elbow landed. He hit the mat and somewhat started to come to, but then those follow-up punches were there, and it was like just a fraction of a second. Stevens was was alert, and then he was out again. So it was almost like a, a two two knockouts within one. Um, I want to see Calvin Cater fight a top five featherweight after that performance because not many people have done that to Jeremy Stevens, um, and and especially being that he wasn't a top five guy you know right. he was a top top 12 guy taking on a top you know eight guy in jeremy stevens ranked seventh i think he should take on somebody in the top five maybe uh you know you put him in there with yeah rodriguez or you know you put him in with a with a interesting matchup that for the featherweight division i feel you know that guy is a future star he's got all all the makings of one yeah, no, I think you're totally right. And honestly, I, I was thinking back to it. Obviously, you you know, you hit it nail on the head with the, you know, sequence of the elbow and a couple following up strikes. I mean, obviously, if the ref's not there, your job as a fighter is to fight until you're stopped. Um, right. Whether it's the bell, the ref, or whatever, very few people will land a clean punch. Someone hits the mat and then they step back. Their job is to go. Um, now with Cater... Last night, I actually went back and I rewatched UFC 220, Nganu and Stipe. Um, and on the main card, I think it was one of the first fights of that main card, was Cater. <clears throat> I don't remember who he fought, but he was on that card with them. And I remember watching that, like, not – I didn't realize that that's exactly the same guy that was on the card. And after I watched 220 again, I'm like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm not surprised. If I knew more about 220 – I might have went more with Cater, honestly, because just watching his style is someone where, yeah, not too many people have done that to Stevens, but I'm not shocked. Right, right. You you see not so much that you're shocked that it happened from Cater's perspective, but shocked that it happened to Jeremy Stevens because nobody has ever really done that. I mean, he's had, he's had losses and stuff like that, but in terms of a flash KO, that was a massive – that's the biggest win of Calvin Cater's career. There's no doubt about it. And fighting on that stage, one thing is for sure, that stage 
Saturday night was massive due to the fact that the whole world was watching that pay-per-view. That, that, the numbers have not trickled in yet, but I'm sure this pay-per-view did very, very well. And one of the big benefactors of that, as far as a fighter that you know is trying to break into that top five of his weight class, is most definitely Calvin Cater. And you know that fight, uh, UFC 220. I can't remember who he fought either. It's not coming to me, but you see just how well-rounded this guy is. You see how well-rounded he is in the stand-up. You see how well-rounded he is in the wrestling. You see each fight, he's been able to kind of put two plus two together and make things happen. Very exciting for the featherweight weight class. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I was just pulling up their rankings now. I mean, you had, you know, Cater at nine and Stevens at seven. And Stevens even missed weight, you know, four, what was it, four and a half pounds over. Um, right. And, you know, still ended up, you know, getting his ass kicked. And, uh, I mean, you, you saw how mad Cater was even in his post-conference. I mean, he showed his respect. You know, they even hugged it out on the mat after. You know, obviously, even he said it himself. I'm pissed off that he missed weight. I don't know how you can do that if you're a fighter. You need to make your weight. Um, but, ultimately, you know, they had a, a class act interaction. They had a class act fight. Um, right. So, you know, the, the professional respect, I think, got built back a little bit. But, um, Stevens missing weight for me, I was very interested in that. Yeah, Stevens missing weight is is unlike Jeremy Stevens. I mean, he's a pro's pro. He's been in the UFC for 15 years. And for him to to miss weight like that, um, I think, you know, post this loss, it's obviously a devastating loss for, for Jeremy Stevens and his career. He's trying to get back into that top five after he was, you know, surging and winning a lot of fights. He had a beautiful knockout over Josh Emmett that just popped into my head. Um, but, you know, moving forward, I feel like Jeremy Stevens probably should fight at 155. Um, 145 at his age, as he's getting older, is going to only get tougher and tougher to make. Yep. Um, and, and there are some exciting matchups in both 145 and 155. Honestly, you know, a fight that I would like to see um, would be Jeremy Stevens versus Donald Cerrone. I feel like that fight would be beautiful for both yep. Stevens and, and Cerrone, you know, so just playing matchmaker there, kind of wondering what's next for Jeremy Stevens. That was a really tough loss. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, that that was not how he thought it would go. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone that thought it would go quite like that. I, I, I don't know. Um, outside of Gaethje, you know, post-fight bonus-wise, I'm sure Calvin Cater got a, a nice post-fight bonus for sure. Oh. He, he had, to, yeah, and I don't think anyone really saw that fight going that way. And I think, I think Steven Cerrone would actually be a, a damn good fight. I think Cerrone, not to get too off topic, but I think obviously Cerrone, right. needs, Cerrone needs a win at this point. He he's really on, does. He's on yeah. four straight losses, and I know, you know, he doesn't probably want to hang it up yet. Um, so you either need to get him someone that he can beat or – start having more realistic conversations with him. And I, and I love Cerrone. I've always loved Cowboy for as long as I've seen him. But um, it's almost, you know, I don't want to say Tom Brady-esque because he's not the Tom Brady of UFC. But, you know, it's almost when, it, when is time going to knock on the door? I would say it's, it's uh, Brett Favre-esque. Yeah, for sure. Would, yeah, you know, that would, that, would, that would make sense. You know, I, I looked at the – I watched the Cerrone fight, you know, obviously on the prelim. And – you know, I, I watched it originally and I thought, ah, close fight. But the one thing I'll say about UFC 249 that I think, you know, will really, it's a good thing in a way that this happened is that the judging on the prelim card was pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, 
Michelle Waterson and Carlos Sparza. I had Waterson winning that 29-28. I thought that was fair. One judge has it 30-27. to 27. The other judge has it 30-27. to 27. That should never happen. Right. And, that, and, and this day and age in the sport, we're not talking about 2005, 2006, when these judges didn't even know what a, what a guillotine choke was. We're talking about 2020. This fight card is on ESPN for the masses to watch. Yep. ESPN Plus streaming pay-per-view later on. These judges got to get these fights right. And it's only a matter of time before it really screws somebody in a massive fight. Like, God forbid, what if, you know, Conor McGregor and Abib actually do rematch later down the line, goes to a decision, and they give it to the wrong guy. It could, it could crush the UFC. I mean, it really, it really could. I mean, temporarily they would do that, but it just changes the way the record books are written. And I thought Cerrone actually won the fight against Anthony Pettis after watching it a second time. He got him, he took him down two or three times, was, was able to somewhat control him, landed some really hard shots. And then you kind of go into the refing of that fight and the refing as we, you know, inch closer as we go along. Um, he was definitely poked in the eye by Anthony Pettis and, and the action was not stopped and it should have been stopped. And I think that's what won Pettis that third and ultimately final round, you know, obviously is they, he won the decision there. And uh, I, I was just, I don't know about you, Kyle, but I was frustrated those first few prelim fights. I'm like, I really hope that this does not carry over into the main card. I mean, you and I have had the conversation so many times before where the, you know, and, and this is why I, I said what I did on Twitter afterwards um, when you had, uh, I can't even think of what fight I'm thinking of. Yeah, the Cejudo Cruz fight. So when you see a fight like Cejudo Cruz get ended by ref decision, you know, the ref jumped in there and called it. And now everyone jumps in and says, well, you know, he was starting to get up. He, you know, maybe the ref jumped in too early. Sure, maybe. But I will 100% of the time rather a fight end in the hands of the referee than in the hands of the judges. At this point, I don't trust the judges to make a fully accurate decision. I, right. And I get, like, if you have, you know, 29-28 and you have a couple rounds where one judge picks Cerrone and one judge picks Pettis, that happens. Obviously, you, you as an individual judge will weigh strikes more than takedowns, and it's it's a visual game to you. And I know we've talked about it before. Whoever gets the last takedown, whoever gets the last strike, you, you have that moment, that eye test that you won the round. So like, right. I get it. And I understand how judges can have differing opinions, but you can't have two judges unanimously picking someone and then the other judge giving it to the other person. Like, right. You know, and it, it, they judges, should never, you have two right. judges unanimously choosing one fighter, saying it was every single round won by that fighter. And now you have your third judge saying that two out of the three rounds were won by not even the winning fighter, by the losing fighter. You're not on the same page at all. Yeah, that's a classic case of, I think, just, just my guess. I don't know this for sure, but just knowing that we've seen it so many times, it's a classic case of, these MMA judges, I guess, for this event, UFC 249, they're judging an MMA fight. They score the boxing facets of an MMA fight higher than the MMA facets of an MMA fight. What I mean by that is they'll score a, a, a 
trade of punches, let's say Michelle Watterson lands three punches to as far as his two, they'll score that for Michelle Watterson, but they won't take into effect, take into account that Asparza took her down and held her down for a minute and a half. Why does that not get credit? Why right. did, and in this case, obviously, it was, it was Watterson, um, you know, doing a little bit more, I guess, as an MMA fighter in the fight. There were moments where Carla Asparza was running away from Michelle Watterson, wouldn't, wouldn't trade with her at all, was circling way too much. She would land punches and then back off. It was even the broadcast team was talking about that. So I just thought for the decision for that fight to be 30-27 for one judge, 30-27 for another, and then for the Pettis fight with Cerrone to be scored 30-27 for either guy, you know, honestly, if the, if you could make a case for 30-27 for, for one or the other, I would have said for Cerrone rather than Pettis. I right. mean, that's just what I saw. So it's, it's all a matter of in a way you know you get you know I'm not I'm not a judge I would hate to be a judge to be honest it's a tough job but at the same time you're messing with careers the record books I mean Donald Cerrone is now on his fourth straight loss he shouldn't be on his fourth straight loss he should be back in the win column after that fight yeah no I I totally agree I think you're spot on um and I I think it's a shame that it goes to that point it's a shame that we have to have conversations that, you know, does, did somebody actually win a fight fair and square? Did the refs, you know, mess it up? So I hate right, it. Right. I hope they fix it. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, on, on a card that you know is going to be on ESPN pay-per-view and everything like that, it's not it's not something where this is the first pay-per-view you've ever done. This is you, – you've got this under your belt by now, so. And I think the way to fix it, if I had a, a solution, would be more than three judges. I, I mean, <laughs> rather, than, rather than just three judges, why not have four judges or five? judges or even six judges and maybe just maybe if you're worried about judges judging MMA that have made their judging careers off of judging boxing then put some former MMA fighters in as judges that actually understand the dynamics of the sport rather than judges that I know for a fact outside of the fights that they've judged they don't watch MMA like they do boxing it's it's just it's crazy to me and it's been this way since 2005, I've, I've, I've had the same opinion. It's and, crazy. And just think about it. Who, who, is, who makes the best play-by-play commentators? Who makes the best, uh, you know, uh, analysts for baseball, for football? It's the guys that have done it. It's the catchers that end up being managers. It's the, right. it's the outfielders and managers that go into the booth. And the NFL, it's the – it's the quarterbacks. It's your cornerbacks. It's whoever was in charge of their, you know, their side of the ball. Those are the people right. that they've done it. They've been there. They know what to look for, and they know how to call it. Look at Tony Romo. Tony Romo is arguably the best play-by-play caller we've ever seen. And, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's because he knows it. So yep. if you get someone, and I hate to say it because I personally can't stand him, but you even get someone like Daniel Cormier or uh, George St. Pierre, get them as judges. They know the sport. They can right. judge it fair, and they will judge it right. And, and I think a credibility is everything in, in this particular um, conversation, too, where we're talking about mixed martial arts, where it's such a new sport compared to football, baseball, you know, the, the big four, you know, hockey and basketball, that it needs that um, 
accountability and credibility from judging. It needs because because that's what teaches the casuals that really have only watched this sport for a couple of years. That's what helps them actually learn more about the sport. And a guy that comes to mind that should be in the forefront of that would be like Randy Couture or um, let's just say Matt Hughes or Matt Sarah, you know, somebody that was in the old guard that is willing to give MMA the respect that it needs. And I don't think these judges really care about how their decisions impact the books and impact the sport. They just look at it as, well, I think that guy won that fight, but they don't look at it for the same reasons or for the right reasons that they should. Yeah, no, there's definitely a different holistic way you need yeah. to look at that for sure. Uh, well, hey, let's get on to one that, honestly, we could probably talk about it just as long as the fight actually took. Um, Nganu and Rosenstrike. I'm not going to get into this too much farther than I think the next fight needs to be for an interim heavyweight title. Um, I think it needs to be Nganu in D.C. I think Nganu kicks D.C.'s ass. Um, and, then I, and then I think you have Nganu sitting with an interim heavyweight waiting for Stipe and get, you get another rematch. Well, you know, I definitely have a lot of thoughts on this. And, you know, without – we'll talk – we'll probably end up talking about the aftermath of the Nganu-Rosenstruck fight More than rather that. than the actual fight itself. I mean, Rosenstruck called out Francis Nganu. And when I had started to read those tweets a few months back – and they made that fight, I thought, <laughs> be careful what you wish for, dude. This yep. is going to be really tough for you. Like, the, it, Rosenstruck's never fought anyone like Nganu, and Nganu had never really fought anybody surging like Rosenstruck. So I thought that this would be a really good fight, but I just – I all it takes is one shot from Francis Nganu to put the lights out uh, on, on, on a fight night. And – he just threw this flurry of punches and one of them landed and he didn't throw these punches with any technique whatsoever. He had his chin up in the air. He was just swinging and one just grazed Rosenstruck right on the, right on the jaw, like cheekbone. And he was, he was out. I mean, it looked like someone just shut the lights off of his entire body. And, uh, how this impacts the heavyweight division for me is, is a real big story right now, actually post UFC 249, because you wonder to yourself, where is Stipe Miocic? He's talked about how he doesn't want to fight because he can't train properly during this COVID-19 pandemic. And DC has been calling for Stipe to sign the contract. And really, I, the entitlement game of who deserves what is what comes into play here. Daniel Cormier, I feel, doesn't really deserve to say, hey, I deserve my trilogy fight. Stipe's the champ. Stipe calls the shots. If Stipe wants to fight Francis Ngannou again, he can do that. But right now, Stipe's saying he doesn't want to fight anybody, and that's the problem. As the champ, somebody that hasn't fought in a while, he needs to fight somebody. He's got to put it on the line against somebody. So I think Stipe and DC will fight, and unfortunately for Francis Ngannou, he'll end up being the loser out of that because he won't be getting the rightful title shot that he deserves i would be shocked stunned if dc signed the contract to fight francis Ngannou. if if i was dc um i know dc says he's not afraid of francis Ngannou. he damn well should be that yeah. is the last fight that i would want as my swan song fight in my mma career and you know daniel cormier is one of those guys that 
you know, some people like them, some people don't. Um, that's not the way you want to end your career. That's, that's just not. The trilogy fight with Stipe, if, if DC doesn't want to wait another couple months for Stipe and would rather fight Francis Ngannou, that's a huge mistake. Uh, and I don't think it's fair to Stipe as well. I mean, Stipe is out on the front lines trying to save lives as a, as a fireman during this whole thing. Why is he, why is he losing out? So no matter what, it's a, someone's going to lose out. One of these three fighters is going to lose out of a title shot, whether it's DC and Ganu or Stipe. Uh, really, I think that, you know, if I had a preference, I would want to see the trilogy. Um, I wouldn't want to see Ngannou versus Cormier, and I wouldn't necessarily mind seeing Miocic versus Ngannou again. I mean, I would love – so if we're being honest, what I would love to see is – in. I don't think I'm going to see it because just like you said, I think Cormier wants his trilogy, and whether it's a win or a loss, I think he wants that to kind of be the, you know, the final note. Um, but I think Ngannou – whether he's even earned it or not, if you want to give Ngannou one more fight, I, I don't think he's going to lose it. I'm not scared about that at all. Um, but I think you've got to give Ngannou his fair share, and whether that means having an interim title until Stipe is ready to fight again. Um, and even in that case, like you said, I don't think DC – I don't think Stipe will agree to it because I don't think he's going to want to have to worry about coming back to fight for a title again. I don't think DC is going to agree to it because he's not going to want to – I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. I think if you look at it like a Ferguson Gaethje type thing, where this was obviously supposed to be a setup for Ferguson to have a filler fight and then right. then have a big blockbuster match versus Habib, well, now you lost. And now if you put you know DC up against Ngannou and DC loses, what motivation do you have for a trilogy? Um, right. So I, I think that's what kind of throws a whole wrench in the plan. We're going to have to wait. You need the way I right. I, I definitely see what you're saying there as far as setting up fights. They, like this, this needs some sort of setup. And the best way to do it has been to have in Rosenstruck be for an entry. Uh, oddly enough, you know, when I looked at the card and saw that this fight was on the card, I was happy that it was a three round heavyweight fight rather than a, than a five-round uh, heavyweight fight. Um, but, you know, I thought to myself that uh, Nganu should have got the opportunity for an interim title. And back to kind of why I said DC doesn't really deserve anything. And I know, you know, when people watch this, they'll say, why does he think that? The reason that Stipe Miocic has been out for so long has nothing to do with his unwillingness to fight it has nothing to do with um, you know, him being afraid of Daniel Cormier, the guy that he just knocked out. It has everything to do with DC poking Stipe Miocic in the eye repeatedly yep. in both fights to the point where Stipe Miocic had to have eye surgery. And I watched an interview with Stipe Miocic recently. He's wearing these big glasses. Uh, Stipe Miocic owes the UFC and Daniel Cormier nothing. If, mm -hmm. if they want to offer... Daniel Cormier uh, to Stipe Miocic and Stipe says no, I could care less. It, 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 that's, that's his choice. I wouldn't see it as him ducking DC. I'd, I'd look at it as him saying, hey, that guy violated the rules against me multiple times. Dana and company didn't do anything about it. 
the commissions didn't do anything about it. The ref in the octagon with us didn't do anything about it. So I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to bring it to Francis Ngannou's house, try to beat this guy again. And uh, people think that Francis Ngannou is just as scary, if not scarier, than he was the last time he fought Stipe Miocic. And they might be right. What better way to add to your legacy if you're Stipe than beating Ngannou twice? Yeah. No, and I, I totally see that. And if that's, you know? if that's the case, and honestly, I, I, you know, I'm pretty much agreeing with everything you're saying. I was just going to say, I don't think it's Stipe ducking DC by any means. I, I think it's literally no. yeah. he's had issues with his eye because of DC. And I think if you're a smart man and you want to, you know, kind of put it to DC or even put it to Dana in a sense, I think you take the, con- like you said, I think you take the contract to Nganu's house and say, sign it. Let's do the rematch. Let's do this again. And then I think if Nganu wins, now you have a Stipe Nganu trilogy that you didn't even expect. Right. And ultimately I do think that, uh, you know, Francis Ngannou will end up being the champion of the UFC heavyweight division at some point. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what order it's going to happen in. Uh, but once this guy, Francis Ngannou, becomes the UFC heavyweight champ, this is a bold prediction by me. I think he's going to go down as one of the biggest stars in the company's history. Yeah. Um, he has that Mike Tyson effect. He's very charismatic, soft-spoken, but the Seems like a really nice guy. And the fact that he did get that huge push from the UFC once before and lost, I actually feel like that helps him in this next act of trying to get that push again and winning these fights the way he's won these fights. He's knocked out guys in a minute time. Uh, three of his last four fights, the, the, the latest he knocked out the fight, fighter was like one minute and 40 seconds. I mean, uh, this guy is. A, I think is. I don't think he's had a fight go a minute and a half. Minute and a half, maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm overshooting it. Then, yeah. I mean, I, to my knowledge, I, I think that might be right. Yeah. I think it was, I think so, it was 87 seconds. Wow. So, I mean, this guy is a, a destroyer that the heavyweight division has has never seen before, um, and I like him. You know, I, I think that Daniel Cormier, you know, for the platform that he has. I think it, it allows him to kind of talk, obviously, more um, in-depth about his career and kind of demand certain things. But I, to say he deserves it, I mean, this guy tried to fight Brock Lesnar after he knocked out Stipe. Brock was literally in the octagon with him after that fight. Then he fought Derek Lewis before he fought Stipe. Then he wanted to fight Brock after Derek Lewis, and that didn't happen. So then he fought Stipe. Stipe owes DC nothing, as far as I'm concerned. No, I think you're right, and I, I, whatever happens, happens, I guess. But yeah, Stipe doesn't owe DC a dime, and I think it'll be interesting to see uh, when Stipe comes back. If it's for a title defense, if it's for an interim title, I think it'll be really interesting. I, I think an interim fight is gonna have to happen if Stipe is not willing to come back in a year, two years, whatever the case is. I, I think you're gonna have to have a title fight, and I think, I think oh, for sure. They're gonna they're gonna put something in giving Ganu the chance to fight for it. I think realistically, but it's all gonna it's in Stipe's court now. It, it's totally in Stipe's hands when he wants to come back, who he wants to fight. I think he's got all the power in the world right now. So um, definitely, I think you're totally right on that one. I think the future of the heavyweight uh, heavyweight class is in very strong limbo right now. I don't think anybody knows exactly what's gonna happen. Um, right now, Cejudo Cruz. 
there's two things I only that's really sticking out to me about this fight here is the decision and the way it ended. I know we just talked about it a couple minutes ago briefly. The decision and then the, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll call it McGregor-esque, thanks for the cheese, I'm out, retirement. <laughs> yeah, you could call it that. Definitely, that would, that would fit. Uh, the fight itself, I mean, I was really pumped up for this fight when we talked about it. I looked at this fight on the card as, as the fight that I was most looking forward to. I just really liked the narrative heading into the fight. And truthfully, I love the 135-pound weight class, 145-pound weight class, uh, 155 and 170. Those are my four favorite divisions in the sport, and they have been for a while. I just like the speed that these guys fight with and the technique and everything. So for this fight to happen, it was a little bit of a, a, a dream fight for me. And with all the momentum that Henry Cejudo had heading into this fight and with the storyline of Cruz coming back, um, I thought the game plan for Henry Cejudo was brilliant um, to come out, throw these hard leg kicks to take the speed away from Dominic Cruz and force Cruz to fight forward rather than figure eight style, I guess you could say, right. uh, was, was brilliant from, from Henry Cejudo. Um, but unfortunately, oftentimes in MMA, just when a fight gets started, it ends. Yep. Uh, it happens so many times. Just when a fight gets started, it ends. I felt like Cruz was really starting to find his range, was starting to get in rhythm, was starting to find his timing in terms of Cejudo throwing the kicks and then throwing a punch, and also Cruz working the angles and trying to throw his punches off of the weird, awkward angles that he throws at his opponents. Um, there was a clash of heads cut on Henry Cejudo's uh, hairline, not on his eyebrow or anything like this. Action resumes. And then Cruz kind of throws this duck, you know, he kind of ducks to throw a punch. And when he ducks, he gets clipped with a knee that Cejudo just missed prior to their heads clashing and the action stopping um, in the sequence before that. And Cruz was out instantly. I mean, it, the only kind of what happened with Jeremy Stevens, he came to hitting the mat. He came to hitting the canvas. Right. And when he came to, Cejudo was, was on him, rightfully so, trying to finish the fight. And the tough part is the ref is there watching it, and, yes, Cejudo landed some punches, but Cruz was getting back to his feet. So how can you say that the fight should be over? How can you say that it's a knock, technical knockout when Cruz was balanced and getting to his feet? He had the, the equilibrium to be balanced enough to stand, and then the fight is stopped. And I get the ref's position. you, you got to protect the fighters from, from themselves. Um, but that instance in particular, I thought a world title fight, you got one of the all-time greats in Dominic Cruz on the receiving end of a, of a hard shot from one of the best combat sports athletes ever. You let that fight finish until one of them is knocked out or choked out or whatever. That's just my take on it. And I know a lot of people look at that and say, well, that shouldn't happen because that's brutal for the sport and it's a bad look. These guys want to fight until they can't fight. They don't want to have it go into the hands of another judge. They invest too much into this for it to just go into a judge's, you know, stoppage. Well, and, and I've been looking forward to this one because I knew you and I were on opposite, you know, opposite ends of the, on the spectrum on how we felt like this should have ended. And 
I mean, I said it earlier, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit. I, I'd much rather leave this in the hands of the ref than the hands of the judges. I, if we can avoid this by – Oh, yeah. We can avoid this it, coming to a judge's decision, then by all means, let's have it end in the ring. Obviously, sure. In a perfect world, Cruz gets not. I don't even want to say a perfect world because that sounds brutal to Cruz. But Cruz gets knocked out to the point where he is not moving. He is motionless on the mat, and that's when you call it. If right. this is how I'm seeing it, and this is how I, I, you know, tweeted out about this too, and I've been telling my friends who have been having, you know, your share or share your viewpoint as well. You you land a punch that, like you said. It knocked him out. Cruz was out, and he hit the mat. Now, did he come to when he hit the mat? Probably, yeah. Was he even out to begin with? I don't know. But you land that significant strike that knocked him out at the moment. You land at least three, four significant hooks while this man is on the ground. At that point, after the fourth hook, that is when the ref is – you can see the ref running over to get in between Cejudo and Cruz. And even while Cruz is starting to get up, I don't think, like what you said, I don't think he was standing. I don't think he was, you know, motioned, ready to go. He looked like he was drunk on all fours trying to find the toilet to throw up. I mean, he literally was all still wobbled, leaning up against the cage. So for me, was it, it looked bad, sure, because the ref got in between while a guy is staggering around. But at the point where he went to slide in and break up the fight, and after the strikes that we just saw Cruz take, I, I'm so much more comfortable with having the ref call it where he did and when he did, rather than taking a chance and maybe this now goes the distance because he gave Cruz the benefit of the doubt and whatever happens. I, I think that was a right stoppage. Well, comparing it to the judges, you know, I would much rather see a fight end, as you said, via referee stoppage than it going to the judges because the judging in mixed martial arts is inept and terrible. Um, I, I can't say that enough. I hate to say it, but it is. But in terms of what I kind of talked about a little bit earlier, these refs and these judges paint the picture of these fighters' careers. That fight will go down in history as the first and only time Dominic Cruz was ever stopped at 135 pounds. Sure. That, to me, is a tough pill to swallow. That, to me, because there was a little bit of wiggle room there. Now, I will fully admit this as well. Dominic Cruz put himself in a bad position. He should have never put himself in that position. You watch it in slow motion. You say to yourself, what the hell was Dominic Cruz doing with his head there? I mean, he just ducked his head right into Henry Cejudo's knee. Yep. Henry Cejudo hadn't even thrown a punch and Dominic Cruz was just, you know, he just ducked his head and he ducked right into that knee. So Cruz put himself in a really bad position, but the sequence of kind of wondering what the sequence would have been after that is the tough part. You never know. You never know what version of Cruz would have got to his feet. Would Henry Cejudo have just landed 40 more punches on a defenseless Dominic Cruz, even with Cruz standing? Would Cruz have been out on his feet? Or would Cruz have gotten to his feet maybe – uh, got his boundaries, and, and the round would have ended. The round was very close to ending by the time the ref, who was out of position, stopped the fight. And, yeah, and that's they called of, it at four minutes and 58 seconds in the round. So it was right, literally right. saved by the bell if that kept going. Right, and, and that's – the ref 
if the ref was in the right position from the get-go and you know they have ways of showing you different angles of the fights on espn plus which is really cool um the ref kind of jogs from the center of the octagon to the kid to the fence if he was right there he probably wouldn't have stopped it i mean he would have seen that Cruz, albeit rocked and dazed, would have worked to his feet. Cruz would have got hit with more shots. That's the, that's the reason for stopping it, is that Cruz would have got hit with some more shots. But my thing is, if this was just Henry Cejudo and Dominic Cruz, just a fight, that's one thing. If this was a, a, you know, a, a main card fight, this is a world title fight. This is... For all the marbles, this is for Dominic Cruz to have one of the greatest comebacks ever, and this is for Henry Cejudo to have one of the biggest wins, if not the biggest win in his career. And that says a lot because he beat Demetrius Johnson, he beat T.J. Dillashaw, but for it to have this kind of seed of doubt and knowing what happened after that with Henry Cejudo saying, oh, I'm going to retire, it's just a tough pill to swallow for me. Yeah, that's fair. And honestly, for what it's worth, I don't think Cejudo is retiring either. I mean, if you look at Dana in the corner, the uh, little thumbs up he gave him when he thanked Dana for all he did, that wasn't a, uh, hey, thanks for all your career. It was, we'll talk soon. We, you know, we'll be on the phone. And we'll, uh, we'll be discussing. I mean, it, one thing we do know about combat sports athletes, whether they're boxers or mixed martial artists, money talks. Money always talks. Yep. Dana's got the money. He just puts the extra zero on that check, and and everything will be a okay. Yep. Uh, maybe a, you know another another comma zero zero. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. But that whole thing too. You know, with him retiring. You know, if if this is the end of his career, he did have a phenomenal career. Nobody can take the win away from him that he won on Saturday night. The fight that he won last night against Cruz. Um, really, you know, we looked at you know in Ganu and. Uh, Rosenstruck in the aftermath of that fight. Now the aftermath of Cejudo retiring against Dominic Cruz. What the hell are they going to do with that bantamweight division? What are they going to do with the title? Yeah. Uh, I look forward to that a lot. I really do. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I think now you know <laughs> you had you just had him beat Cruz, and you know, do you give Cruz a shot at getting it back now? I mean, you gotta gotta weigh yeah. all the options, I guess. It was a it was a debatable stoppage. It's tough to say it was early. Tough to say it should or shouldn't have happened. But that's the thing. It just plants that seed of doubt that I just the seed of doubt. I hate that within a fight. But I think you know if it were up to me, if I was running the show, I would vacate. Obviously, the title's vacated, and I would I would probably put it on the line with Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling. I felt like those guys should have probably already fought for a title. Um, they're not really well known though. So that's where you really need to put some promotion behind them or maybe even build this up, you know, build, build this up to where you, you do like Henry Cejudo actually suggested a little bit of a, a tournament where you have Peter Yan versus Corey Sandhagen or Aljamain Sterling versus Cruz or Aljamain Sterling versus Frankie Edgar or something like that to where it would really build up the, the fight and build up the division because that division needs a face now that Henry Cejudo is gone. Yep. No, I think you're right. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. I don't mind that at all. I think whatever you got to do to spruce it up, make it look good, put lipstick on a pig and call it a princess, whatever you got to do. 
I think you can make it work. And I, I think, you know, you and I both have faith in Uncle Dana. I think he'll get it done. He's not, yeah, he'll get it done. He's not a stranger to weird situations involving title belts. So um, they've been there before. They'll get it done. I'm not worried. And if it is just a contract dispute and Cejudo takes a year off and says, you know what, I got my money. I'm ready to come back. I don't see why Cejudo can't fight and get his title back. So, uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. But uh, they, Yeah, they did say that they're going to give Cejudo a week's time to decide whether or not he's If he is done, says he's in the middle and figure out what they're going to do. But if they call Cejudo and Cejudo says he's not sure, then they're going to work on his next fight. So, that's what I heard. And uh, I look forward to seeing – how that plays out, no matter how it plays out, I feel like it's going to be entertaining. For sure. No, no doubt. Well, let's go. Let's go last but not least. Let's go the money fight. Let's go you know, money where the mouth is. Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson is one bad MFer. Uh, Justin Gaethje, I, if we're being honest, I wanted McGregor to fight Gaethje because I thought it would just be a, an easy stopgap fight. Maybe not easy, but I thought it would be a good, worthy stopgap fight that McGregor could win. Nobody was beating last night's Gaethje. I, I think last night was the best version of him we've seen. Um, I it could be the best version of him we will see. I mean, I, I think it's hard to imagine a world where now Habib wants to come back and fight Ferguson. I think that's dead. Um, there's no sense in that happening anymore. I think of anybody now it's going to be Gaethje. Um, or do you have a, do you piss off Gaethje a little bit? Do you put him against McGregor and then give that to Habib? You know, I, I know McGregor wants to fight as soon as next month. He's interested in that fight Island. Um, I know McGregor is not going to sit around and wait until the end of the year to get his next fight, but shit, this is another one that leaves me just as many question marks as I had going in. <laughs> well, where do I start? I mean, this was, um, this was, <sighs> I'm speechless, to be honest. I'm still speechless. Um, where do I start? This fight, going into it, we talked about it, and I said, I'm, I'm not ready to say that Justin Gaethje doesn't have a shot. I will never say that Fighter B doesn't have a shot against Fighter A. I've watched George St. Pierre, who I believe, new UFC Hall of Famer, by the way, who I believe is the GOAT of GOATs, is the Michael Jordan of MMA. He got knocked out by five foot six. Long Island hot dog eating Matt Sarah, pizza eating Matt Sarah uh, for a world title fight. It was his first title offense. He got knocked out in the first round, you know, and, and Luke Rockhold got knocked out by Bisbing and Ronda got knocked out by Holly Holm. Just you could go on and on. But you have a, a lot of fights like that where really the, the risk reward for me was a huge factor that came into play here with Tony and, and Justin Gaethje. The, the risk-reward for Tony, I thought the risk far outweighed the reward. And talking with yourself and talking with everybody about this fight, I said to myself, I really hope for Tony's sake that he understands the actual risk that he's taking because if Justin Gaethje shows up, the Justin Gaethje that he has wanted in the cage, the Trevor Whitman, his coach, has wanted in the cage, Tony Ferguson might be in some trouble, and that's what happened. Yeah. The fighter that Justin Gaethje has wanted to be was the guy that he was Saturday night. Yeah. You learn a lot from watching 
fighters when they lose, how they handle when they lose. And when Justin Gaethje lost to Eddie Alvarez, when Justin Gaethje lost to Dustin Poirier, you could watch those fights separately and have a tough time remembering which one was which. They were the exact same fight. Justin Gaethje was winning those fights. Got two overzealous, got two punch happy, two, uh, you know, trade boxing happy. And he got caught in both of those fights. And I don't know about you, Kyle, but the coolest thing about UFC 249 was the fact that there wasn't fans. The fact that you could actually hear what these corners were saying, what these trainers were saying. And as it became apparent to me early on that within the first 30 seconds of that fight, Justin Gaethje had a massive power advantage over Tony Ferguson mm-hmm. to the point where you, you could hear it, you know, so to be actually, to actually be able to hear it, which you wouldn't have been able to hear it if, if the crowd was in the building. Right. That was something I've never experienced before in all my years of watching fights since I was five years old, actually being able to hear a, a fighter land harder shots, cleaner shots, seeing that they're cleaner, but knowing that they're harder by the sound yep. that is coming off of those punches. And I said to myself, okay, well, we know that Justin Gaethje's got the power advantage. If this just continues as is, Tony's in trouble. Yeah. Tony's, Tony's going to get hurt. Um, and I was actually wrong. Tony was in trouble. Tony was getting hurt, but it took five, four and a half rounds for that fight to end. Tony Ferguson is the toughest SOB that has ever put on a pair of UFC gloves. And that is extremely high praise. It was a phenomenal fight. Uh, Wondering what's next. I mean, we could dive into that for sure. Tony Ferguson to, I I think I said it, I don't know if I said it in, you know, our, in our group chat that we have with the wrecking, the rest of the wrecking crew. Um, I don't know if I said it to you or if I just tweeted it, but the, and I don't know if you've seen the episode. I don't know if you're a Family Guy fanatic like myself. The episode where Stewie bets Brian on the celebrity boxing, and it's Carol Channing versus Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson is just <laughs> decking Carol Channing, decking, decking, and she just keeps popping up saying, come on, young man, let's do it. Let's get – come on, keep fighting me. Let's go. And Tyson literally just falls on the floor because he's dead. That is exactly what Tony Ferguson reminded me of because you could hit him time and time and time and time again. And this man was just rebounding and not going down. Gaethje had such a powerful fist behind him. And Ferguson was just taking the punches, like, bring it on. Let's go. Give me the next one. He was eating them like they were his lunch. And the fact that you were able to, like you said, you could hear it because of the fans not being in the arena I think it's amazing what I thought was the coolest thing is similar, you know, it ties into you saying it's the fans not being there. I think it was the level of com- competitiveness, the competition, the, whatever you want to call it, of these guys still fighting with no fans. I think this is, one of the, this is one of the few sports where these guys don't need fans to fight. They are out there for their career. They are out there to kick some blood. I, right. I think it's incredible. I think we watched a damn good fight. Um, yeah, I mean, we can definitely jump into what's next in this division, but that fight itself was four and a half, four and three quarters of. Holy yeah, that, that, that's a fight that when you break it down, it's, it's, you know, you write down on the sheet here that I got, oh, we're going to break down Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. But in order to break it down, you got to just start off by how you're, 
how your brain was reacting to what you were watching. What you were watching was a guy culminate every uphill, downhill battle in his career and just put it all together. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I saw. At least a guy that really, I don't think Justin Gaethje thought at all that he was going to win the fight like that. No. I think Justin Gaethje thought that he was going to go toe-to-toe with Tony Ferguson. It was going to be a classic battle decision, 48-47 for himself. And what happened was, as the fight wore on, Justin Gaethje fought calm, cool, collected. All of his skills were firing on all cylinders. And he was winning that fight. There was not, for as, for as tough and as durable as Tony Ferguson is, one of the baddest MFers to ever do it, there was never a minute in that fight that he was winning. Nope. There was never a moment in that fight that he was was controlling the action. He he was being controlled the entire time. And, and when Justin Gaethje was landing punches, Ferguson would fire back and land his, but it, it wasn't doing anything. There's something to be said about fighting reactively rather than proactively. And I think that's, you're, right. never, you're not going to be ahead winning a fight if you're the one throwing the counters. You need to be able right. to landing the punches and ducking, landing the punches and, you know, getting, even if you get hit by a counter, there's something to say for leading a fight. And Gagey absolutely led that fight. I mean, you're spot on. Ferguson, not one minute in that fight did I think, all right, Ferguson got his control. It was all Gagey, green light from the start. I, I kind of thought of it like a, uh, <clears throat> it was like slowly but surely the rug was just being pulled out from under Tony Ferguson. And that's it. In a way, I do have to say, you know, I do really feel bad for Tony. I, I sympathize with him um, due to the fact that, as I said, you know, this was the ultimate risk. This was a huge risk. Tony Ferguson winning this fight, it was another win on his record. It was a big win on his record because Justin Gaethje is a, is a name opponent, but it's almost as if the effects of Ferguson beating Gaethje were the same as they were when he beat Cerrone. You know, they, they, it's just adding another name to your, to your career and essentially winning back your interim title. So it was just really tough for me to gauge why Tony Ferguson would put himself in this spot. But then again, Tony Ferguson is a warrior. He's a cage fighter. I'm not uh, a cage fighter at all. Uh, so, I, you know, it's my thought process is differently, works differently than his. But just in terms of everything that Tony worked for, a 12-fight win streak, to have this Habib fight taken from him and to have the injuries that he had, to it just I, – I'm shocked – that Tony actually took this risk in general. And I feel very bad that it blew up in his face. I'm not even going to say I'm shocked he took the risk. I think you're right. I think the risk to reward was extremely minimal or right. whatever, you, however you want to call it. I think the, the reward was minimal. Yeah. Right. The, the amount of risk that he was taking for what's next for him greatly outweighed, if not, you know, tripled, quadrupled the amount of reward he was getting from this. I think on one hand, your your reward is, like you said, you beat a named opponent. You have now this persona of, I don't care who I'm going to fight, when I'm going to fight them, or if it even matters, I will fight you and I will win. That's about the only upside I see to Tony winning that fight. You know, the other side, you, you get exactly what we got. He lost. 
you probably lose a title fight against Habib now. You probably a financial aspect, you know, he loses out on the potential purse of what he was going to get from a Habib fight. Um, I mean, there's just so much that snowballs from him taking that fight. So I think you're spot on. Um, but obviously we can probably take a whole nother hour on what's next. So, I mean, is it, is Habib <laughs> yeah, but... back after, does Habib come back after Ramadan? Do, do we see Gaethje and, and Connor, you know, hold the, I, I don't know what is going to I mean, now we've got Conor McGregor going on a Twitter tirade in the middle of the afternoon on a Monday. I saw that. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Who knows what's going on? So uh, the, here's, here's my thing. There, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of avenues that this path could, could, could be on, I guess. So there's, there's a lot of – this could go left or go right. And, and the way that I see it is – for for Justin Gaethje to win that fight on short notice, and it was on short notice. I, I've said that, and, and some people have given me pushback for that. It was on short notice. Tony Ferguson was in a fight camp preparing for Habib Nurmagomedov, the, the dominant fighter of the UFC right now. Um, I think even more dominant than John Jones. Uh, he was ready, willing, able to fight. Justin Gaethje had to play catch-up in the midst of a pandemic yep. where he had to go through all of these hoops to get cleared and everything. So, you know, I think that Gaethje deserves the shot against Habib to say he deserves it is, is underselling it. Yep. If he doesn't get that shot against Habib, it would be criminal to, to not give him that fight, but that's not how things always work yep. in the sport. Who deserves what really doesn't mean Jack crap. It doesn't mean anything. So what could happen is dollars and cents could talk. Money talks, as always. And if Habib is out until Ramadan, albeit Justin Ferguson, or Justin Ferguson, Justin Gaethje went through a five-round, almost five-round war with Tony Ferguson, but he looked like he took a bath. He, he's got no cuts, yep. no bruises, nothing. Uh, Justin Gaethje could fight in the next two or three months. And if they offered him the right opponent, he would fight. And the right opponent is the guy that gets him paid and gets him more notoriety. Um, and you know who that is. So, you know, Conor McGregor is waiting and itching to fight. He fought a 42nd fight against Donald Cerrone in January. It's now May. He would have fought by now against Gaethje, or maybe they would have had this fight booked already for July. The plan was that they were going to fight anyway between may and july so if habib wants to fight justin gaethje though that will obviously get in the way of that but if habib isn't coming back until september until ramadan is over how could you put justin gaethje on ice for that long how could you put conor mcgregor on ice for that long we could see a scenario play itself out where justin gaethje and conor mcgregor fight each other for the interim lightweight championship I think that would be a shock. I think, I mean, if you do, I think it's, it's going to be hard for them to justify taking away a title from Habib or at least even making it an interim situation. I think you have a tough time arguing that while he's not fighting. I don't want to say due to religious reasons. Obviously, I know he celebrates, but, you know, they've been having a hard time booking this fight for a while. So, you know, I don't, I don't think this is going to be what makes them take it away from him. I think it's going to be very interesting. I, I, if you're trying to find out who fights when, 
if you see if you see McGregor and Gaethje July or August, and now let's say July, let's say you give Gaethje two months because he's fine, he didn't get much of a licking, um, and now you put him up against McGregor at the end of July, and now at the end of September, October, you have a, you know, if Gaethje wins that, I think you're going to have a hard time finding Gaethje take three fights in six months. But if McGregor wins, I could see it. Yeah, it, it's one of those things, too, where that that's just a scenario that I see based on the fact that Connor hasn't fought in a while. And the UFC is obviously, it, for their business, I should say, it's not good for their business that their champ um, says, well, I'm it's, – it's not that it's not good for their business for the reasons that he, you know, celebrates Ramadan. That's, that's his, you know, religion and, and his culture. But for their business – they need they need fights. They need title fights, especially right now. That really, you look at the the state of sports right now. If the UFC could churn out as many title fights as possible from let's just say today until September before the NFL football season starts, you got to do it, even if it's an interim title. And to me, I've always hated interim titles. I I, I feel like they make no sense at all. But there is never a there's never been a more deserving interim title holder than Justin Gaethje after that Tony Ferguson fight, right? So if he, quote-unquote, defends or attempts to defend the interim title against their biggest draw, I think connor has got to get another win to fight Habib anyway, and that win against Justin Gaethje, if he would have win that fight, would be what would do it. It would, it would help sell the habib connor fight even more. And if Justin Gaethje got through Conor McGregor, It'd be two wins in a row against Tony and Connor. I mean, that would be just that it would sell itself. And that's really what the UFC needs. I think the days of this trash talk, as much as I love it, ability for the UFC to just sell a fight based off of the fighting, I miss that, man. I really do. I miss yeah. it. No, I, I, I get it. And like I said, it's something where it's, it's a different day and age. It's a different way of building fights now. And especially now with uh, COVID being a thing, you got to get more creative with it. So I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. And I guess we'll see really where this, you know, where this division heads, but Hey, if it's, if it's Gaethje and Connor in July, I'm here for it, man. I am so ready to, I'm, I will fall down on the floor one more time watching my man defend his Irish flag. So I'll be ready. Let to play, you know, to kind of go on the flip side, too, let's just say that that doesn't happen. And, and let's just say that Justin Gaethje does fight Habib, which I'd be okay with that, too. The, the fight for, for Connor, where this makes a lot of sense, I feel, would be with Nate Diaz. I mean, everybody wants that trilogy fight. I'd watch them fight 15 times if that's what it took. Or if Jorge Masvidal is on ice, uh, with the Kamaru Usman situation, then put him in there at 170 again with Jorge Masvidal. I mean, there's there's actually a lot of matchups for Connor right now, and Justin Gaethje became another one, but uh, there's really no wrong answer to get Conor McGregor back in the octagon. No, I don't think there's a wrong answer, and I don't think we're going to wait long to see it. I think you're going to hear him getting announced to, you know, sooner than later. I, I don't know if this uh, tirade here is because he already has a fight booked and – they're waiting to announce it and they want Connor to draw up some attention 
or if he's really just calling for Dana to get something done. Whatever happens, well, man, super hyped. Yeah, I, I know that they did offer Nate Diaz the Conor McGregor trilogy fight after he lost to Jorge Masvidal. And it was actually after Donald Cerrone beat – or actually after Conor beat Donald Cerrone, they offered the trilogy fight to Nate because Conor was, was signing off on it. So it was like, well, we already got Conor's agreement. Let's try to get Nate's. Right. And there was actually some banter between both of them back and forth where Conor said, just sign the damn contract. But the thing with Nate Diaz – and, you know, similar to what Donald Cerrone experienced with Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz has been through so many wars, his face just explodes upon the yep. first exchange. So, you know, I think Nate might need to take some time off, and I definitely think Donald Cerrone needs to take some time off. So the options are there for Conor, but finding out what option makes sense based on the timing and all that will be really interesting. But huge, huge night for Justin Gaethje. I mean, this was the best that he'd ever looked by far. And it was only a matter of time before we started to put it all together. But to see him put it together against Tony Ferguson like that under those circumstances was just phenomenal. It was truly, truly a blessing to watch, to be quite honest. Like I said, I think that was the best Gaethje we've seen. I think it's the best we will see for a while. And I think we'll be hard-pressed to see that again if he gets – McGregor, Gaethje, you know, Diaz, whoever's next. What do you think happens with Tony now? Dude, I have no idea. I, I have not even given one thought to what happens to Tony next. I mean, he's got to take time off. He just had eye surgery. Uh, I mean, he basically broke his orbital, uh, orbital bones. So he's got to get that repaired. And I think that's going to take him out, whether it takes him out at least this year. And then, you know, you see what, what, awaits you at this time next year shit man i really have no idea I'm, i don't even have a, a guess <laughs> i it's like you draw it up in your brain right like what was the worst case scenario for tony ferguson it's not only do you lose but you lose so badly that you break your orbital bone and you're out for six to eight months you break your that's <laughs> yeah that, that's Literally the worst case for Tony, and I feel for him, but I think that uh, I think it's back into the back of the line. You know, he's going to have to fight a, a top 10, 15 guy that he would have never have had to have fought. He would have never had to have fought that guy, that next guy, maybe a Charles Oliveira or somebody, Ally Quinta or somebody like that, if he never fought Justin Gaethje. But that's what makes Tony Ferguson Tony Ferguson, and I think he does deserve a lot of credit for that. As much as I don't understand why he took the shot, took the chance, the risk, I do give him credit for it. It just proves that he's one of the most badass fighters of I'll, all time. I'll be excited. Whenever he decides to come back, and whenever whoever it is, I think there's going to be a warm welcoming for Ferguson, that is for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. We had a jam-packed call today. I really appreciate it. We we went a million miles an hour in UFC 249 definitely gave us enough to cover it. So I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, you know, the couple fights this week. I'm looking forward to 250. Um, it's going to be a hell of a time. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, to end it, shout out to the legendary newest member of the UFC hall of fame, the greatest of all time, absolutely. George St. Pierre. Absolutely. Uh, Awesome memories watching him fight and uh, one of the best to ever do it. I, I, I can honestly say that no matter what 
fighter comes along, even Conor McGregor, John Jones, there will never be another George St. Pierre. So we got to end the show on that note. Congrats to GSP. I think you're spot on. GSP got what he deserved, and it's very, very well earned and rightfully so. So you're, you're spot on. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. We'll do this again. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Take care, buddy. Later.